Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to preach to you this morning about courage. I want to talk to you about having a fearless heart. Because, you know, with what you're doing, King's Church, you need to adopt some courage. I I don't know any other church, really, that is out in the streets ministering in an evangelistic way to the degree that this house is. But for what you're doing, you're going to need some courage. Okay, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, UK, but it's the last of the last days. And one of the most politically incorrect things you could possibly do would be to go on the streets and tell somebody that Jesus is the only way to God. And you're doing it every week. And then the Holy Ghost is backing you up with signs and wonders. You need some courage. I want to talk to you this morning about a story in the word of God that we have all heard like a million times. But could we just pretend that we've never heard it before for just for just a minute? I want to talk to you about about this crazy battle that happened. We've got on one hill. We had the armies of Israel all decked out in their armor, right? They've got all the right armor. They've got a battle cry. They know how to line up. They know how to get ready for this fight. They've got sword spears. They're ready to go. And there's a valley in between them. And on the other mountain, on the other hill, there is the army of the Philistines. The problem was everybody thought it was a normal battle. Everybody thought this was going to be business as usual. Everybody thought we were going to fight this fight the same way every other battle had been fought. But when the battle lines were drawn, something happened that nobody expected. His name was Goliath. I'm just waiting to see if y'all are awake. Nobody expected Goliath to come out, y'all. We've got, you know, depending on what commentary you read, Goliath was between 9 and 13 feet tall. How many know you don't want to make that guy mad? (laughs) My husband's six foot four. I think that's huge. 13 feet tall. Are you kidding me? Don't make him mad. And the Bible says that Goliath had an armor bearer out in front of him to hold his shield. Why is that important? That means that this 13 foot tall psychopath has two hands free with which to kill you. Not a good day. This is not going to be your normal fight. And the armies of Israel who had all their right armor, who had all the right battle cries, who had all the right weapons and lined up real pretty in their Sunday best ready to go, had no answer for this unexpected enemy. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17? We're going to skip around just a little bit. And I've got a lot of Bible this morning. So I hope you like the Bible. If you don't, this is going to be a really weird church service for you. As usual, y'all, please don't worry. Whatever I mess up, Pastor Phil will fix it next Sunday. If I say something weird to you, could you just blame it on me being American? Is that okay? I can't get away with that in the States, but I can rock that here. If I say something you think's a little bit crazy, just, you know what? We had a crazy American speaker in church today. Just do that. That'll be fine. I can live with it. It's all good. First Samuel chapter 17. Are you there? 
Verse 10, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Everybody say greatly afraid. Verse 24, when all the men of Israel saw Goliath, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and will make his father's house free in Israel. I don't know if y'all know it, but that means tax free. And that's a better deal than you'll get in my country or yours. Okay, well, we'll just move right along. (laughs) Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, y'all, I love this. Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now y'all realize that the Bible's true. Y'all realize this is not a story that somebody made up to make you feel better and have some morals. This is about a teenager who just got over his bad case of acne who punched out a lion and killed him. Just making sure. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Great churchy answer, isn't it? Then, then he clothed him with armor, his own armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when Goliath looked down and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. And he said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Here we go, y'all. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and I'm going to take your head off. I'm, I'm sorry. I read that last bit in American. I'm in the UK right now. And I'm going to take your head off. I'm sorry. With my pinky out, my cup of tea. I'm sorry. 
And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now that's a real good little preach, but let's see how it turned out. Teenager with acne. Against a 13-foot psycho. You ready? Then it happened that when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. (laughs) Y'all, we need some of that. Uh, I, I want, I want the kind of courage that makes me run quickly to a battle I know I cannot win within my own self. I, I don't know if you know it or not, but I, the, the longer I live, the more aware I am, Sam. I do not have my life together. I, this is not, no, I'm not qualified to do what I've been asked to do. I've got nothing within my own strength that, that, that qualifies me to do what God has called me to do. But if you'll just give me some courage, I'll run to the battle line. We've got to have that in the church right now. See, that's all David had. It turned out in this story that the only two things David needed were the only two things he had. He had the anointing of the Lord on his life and a heart full of courage. We, you know, thank God for all the stuff we do to make church services look good, sound good, smell good. Praise God for deodorant. I hope you're all wearing some today. But we, it's about time we realize that we don't need this fluffy church light with a cup of coffee in our hand so much as we need the anointing of the Lord and a heart full of courage. There's an enemy out there. There's a Goliath out there that is not impressed with our smoke machines. Or with any of the other of our cheap substitutes for the glory of God. We've got to have a heart full of courage. See, what is the difference? When I read that passage, you've got Saul. He's the king. The Bible tells you in other passages that he was head and shoulders taller than the rest of the, of the men of Israel. He was, he looked the part. He was God's first choice. I know Israel had the idea, let's have a king, but God picked Saul out. He was God's first choice. He had the anointing of the Lord on his life. But why in the face of this battle that nobody expected? Why does Saul chicken out on God? What happened there? You see, the difference between David and Saul in that moment was Saul. And, and y'all, I don't, I, I'm going to make somebody mad right here. But let's just get it all out of the way at the beginning. Just don't throw nothing at me, okay? Y'all don't do stuff like that in the UK anyway. But the difference between Saul and David is Saul had removed himself from the favor of God by his disobedience. You can do that. You'll not hear about it on Christian TV. They'll tell you if you give a thousand dollar love gift or a thousand pounds even. 
Sorry. If you give a thousand pound love gift that you can get the, I saw this on TV one time, that you could get the anointing of triple favor. Boy, I'm telling you, I threw something at my TV. 66 books of scripture and I can't find it. What in the world is triple favor? And who on God's green earth has lied to these people to make them think that you can buy the anointing? The Holy Ghost from the Bible has never been, will never be, and is not for sale today. Never going to happen. You don't get the anointing by an offering. Aren't you glad? None of us have enough. How would you put a price on the anointing? We don't have enough money for that. Thank God you still get it by walking with him. Novel thought, right? But Saul had, had removed the favor of God from his life by his compromise, by his sin. See, he had stepped into sin. And it is the normal response of the Spirit of God that if you get into a sinful situation in your life, the Holy Spirit in his mercy will remove the sense of his presence, the sense of his favor from your life. That is to cause you to go, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. I need to repent and get right with God. You hear this morning? So if if you're one of those people that have removed yourself from God's favor, listen, I'm not here to beat you over the head with the Bible today. All I want to do is say to you, pay attention to the absence of his presence that you feel and let it drive you to repentance so that you can be restored. But Saul had compromised. He had sinned. He had, he had sold the favor of God for his own pride. And so when the battle lines were drawn, he had not been with his God. He had no resource, no courage, because he had not been with God. But David, who's just a kid, we'd have called him a whippersnapper in the States. Doesn't know nothing. Wet behind the ears. Just a shepherd. Which is like the lowest job you can have. Hello, he probably didn't smell very nice. He's just a teenager. And his daddy had him deliver bread and pizza, uh, well, bread and cheese to the front line. It's the Mediterranean. You want to tell me there was no sauce involved? David was a pizza delivery boy. Yeah, I did just prove that pizza's in the Bible. How many feel better now? (laughs) Several hands went up, Phil. I'm just saying. Wouldn't it be fun to have a pizza party on a Sunday morning too? Never mind. I'm sorry. This is just imaginings of a preacher's kid. You'll just have to excuse me. I'm sorry. But David, who had been relegated to the shepherd's field, do you know the rabbis tell us, people smarter than me, who have studied the life of David and the history of Israel that is beyond what would be readily available to those of us who aren't Jewish, okay? They tell us that the reason David had been sent out to the pasture with the sheep is because he was an illegitimate son. You know, Mrs. Jesse. Okay, are y'all mad at me? I can't tell. (laughs) You know, if you read the Bible, you'll never have to watch TV again. (laughs) These people were messed up. And God still used them. So Mrs. Jesse, she acted up 
And David is an illegitimate son. He's not, y'all, he's so despised in his family that not only is he sent to the shepherd fields, but do you remember when Samuel decides it's time to go anoint a king, he knows by the word of the Lord he's going to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And he tells Jesse, we're going to have a church service and we're going to anoint one of your boys to be the king. Jesse does not even invite David to the church service. How mean is that? Y'all, Thank God we have, we have to love everybody, but thank God we don't have to like everybody. There's a lot of y'all would be going to hell today if you had to like everybody. And I'd be the first one, man. I mean, how many know you don't have to go on vacation with everybody? You got to love everybody, but you ain't got to go on holiday with everybody. Okay? Okay? But I have never not liked somebody so much that I wouldn't invite them to church. They don't even invite David to the church service, and he's the king. But David on those shepherd fields, instead of feeling rejection, instead of harboring bitterness for something he never could have controlled in his life, instead of gloom and doom and woe is me and misery and agony and pity party, I need counseling, therapy, all of that stuff. Instead of that, David takes his guitar to the shepherd fields and learns to cultivate worship in his life. He learns to minister to the Lord. So that you've got this little shepherd boy, teenager guy that nobody thinks is worth anything. But he's the only one on the whole battlefield with the courage to take down this giant. So the good news this morning, King's Church. If you're taking notes, here's your number one. If you're not, don't worry about it. You're not going to go to hell if you don't take notes. It's okay. Number one, courage is not about who you are. Don't you feel better? I feel better. Courage is not about who you are. It's about who you've been with. (laughs) David had been in the presence of the Lord to the extent that when he came up upon the enemy of God, when he heard the name of God being taunted, there was no way he was going to stand for it. And the Holy Ghost rose up within him and there was a strength that came into his life that never could have come from his own resources. He didn't have any resources. You're going to take down a 13 foot giant with a rock? Really? But no, because he had been with God, because he had spent time ministering to the heart of God, there was nothing he couldn't do. Courage is not about who you are. It's about who you've been with. It's still all about his presence, y'all. You realize we don't invite the presence of God to come into church services just so that you can feel good or have some great mood music. It's about courage. Because when you walk out of these doors today, we don't know who you're going to meet. We don't know when Goliath's going to come walking down the streets of Cambridge. And you have to have been with your God. I'm just trying to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you a story about when I was growing up, but I'm just trying to decide whether or not I'm about to get kicked out of this church. (laughs) Y'all are really brave because you've had me two times. <laughs> this might be the last. <laughs> but you've already promised not to throw anything at me, so here goes nothing. 
So I am a pastor's daughter. I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. The only reason you would know that city is if you like golf, we're the home of the masters. So in, in our church, we got touched by God when I was about 12 years old and my brother was eight. And uh, my brother's name is also Philip. So Philip and I, we, we all, we just got totally touched by God. Our church had been um, a good AOG church, but we began to experience burnout. How many have ever been there before? And it was, it was one of those things where people in the AOG, we had a reputation for being a lively church, had a reputation for preaching the word and for worshiping. People would come in and say, oh, it's a great church. But the truth of the matter was we were dying on the inside. And so we ran into Jesus at the Brownsville revival and our normal died. We don't ever want to resurrect it. (laughs) Some stuff need to stay dead. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So when we ran into Jesus, everything changed and our church, I mean, lit on fire. The youth group, man, it was like Ninja Warrior. Whoa! I mean, they were on fire for God, you know, smoke coming out of their ears. It was awesome. The problem is, I wish I had better news, but the, the youth group that had gotten touched, they began to drift away from God until they were totally backslidden. I got to lead worship to them every Wednesday night. Tough crowd. <laughs> Not the Bay Revival, I'll tell you that. Me, me and my brother, to my knowledge, are the ones that are saved out of that group. But we, we, we couldn't be impressed with drugs and alcohol. And we sure couldn't be impressed with, with the sexual promiscuity these guys were messing around with. We, we, we lost our normal. We ran into Jesus. Where do you go back to from that? So we're living, we're living right, but we're in a situation where it, we were not very cool <laughs> because of that. And it was just, it was one of those things. But in our youth group, we liked to play table football. To this day, I'm a little embarrassed at how good I am. (laughs) My husband refuses to play with me anymore. He bought me a foosball table. And I told him, you know, good husbands buy their wives flowers from time to time. But a great husband buys his wife a table football table. (laughs) See, but he won't play with me anymore, so it's no good to me. He invites people over to play me, to beat me. I'm like, you're supposed to be on my side. Hello, that's marriage. But anyway... Pray for us. No. But the youth group was totally, completely wrapped up in this. So we were playing one night before church, and or just after church. My brother and I were taking on a couple of guys in the church. I don't know what you know about redneck culture in the United States, but there are good rednecks and there are bad rednecks. These were the bad kind. And so these guys, they were big fellas, about 18 years oldish. And uh, they thought they knew everything. They're totally backslid away from God. The problem is my father had just preached a message on holiness. And, and so they were mad. Now, why they chose to mouth off in front of us, I'm still not sure. But they start fussing about what my dad had preached. Why does he got to make such a big deal out about this? Who wants to talk about holiness all the time? I'm like, well, it's kind of a big deal. Without holiness, no man will see God. You can't rip that stuff out of the Bible. It's still there. But they were fussing. They were mad. And before I could say anything, my brother, he was, you got to understand, y'all. I know I'm crazy. It's not just an American thing. I tell you that because you're British and I think I can get away with it. But I know I'm crazy. Even the Americans think I'm nuts, okay? (laughs) Just confession time with Lydia. But as crazy as I am, my brother is so calm, cool, and collected. He was born with one hand in his pocket going, hey, how y'all doing? He's just... (laughs) 
chilled out kind of guy, right? Matter of fact, calm, cool, and collected. He looks up at those guys and he wasn't mean, not a disrespectful tone of voice, just business as usual and says, well, if you'd get right with God, you wouldn't get offended when my dad preaches against sin. I went, I mean, I couldn't believe that he spoke up before I got to. And I, 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 he said, yeah, if, you, if you'd go ahead and get the sin out of your life, you wouldn't have to get mad every time somebody preached about holiness. And before I could collect myself from the shock that he spoke up, because he's only like 12. These guys are 18. Just a 12-year-old little kid. Before, before I could collect myself, those two idiots began to bully him. They told him how stupid he was. What a moron you really are, boy. They told him, you know what? They said, they said, we can't believe you talk to us that way. And this is the one, y'all, I got a little bit of ginger in my hair. I don't know if y'all can tell. And this was the comment that made the nuclear meltdown take place. Y'all knew it was coming, right? This was the comment that caused the spirit of slap to come upon my life. Okay. <laughs> they said, boy, we're going to take you outside and we're going to teach you how to talk to us. We're going to take you outside and we're going to teach you a thing or two. We're going to whoop you like your mama should have. I felt my blood pressure go up. <laughs> I felt the spirit of slap all over me. I was ready to go. And before I could pray, what would Jesus do? Before I could quote a scripture about the fruit of the Spirit. Didn't count to ten, nothing. Right? I felt that red in my hair come on. And I said, I tell you what, I dare you to touch my brother. Because I'm going to jump across this table and bash your two fat heads together. And we're going to let this whole church know that she two rednecks got beat up by a girl. I said, I dare you to put a, a fingernail on his body. I'll pick him up by the ankles and beat you with him. <laughs> and right as the adrenaline was really surging, and I was feeling like Chuck Norris or something, you know, <laughs> I added, and I dare you to tell my daddy I said it. <laughs> Came up to my dad after church and said, hey, dad, I think we need to talk. <laughs> Anyway, just so you know, dad's really cool. And he said, listen, if somebody's picking on your brother and you don't stand up for him, you're answering to me, not just them. I'm like, oh, right. But do you know what happened in that room that day? Philip never said one more word to defend himself. And those two bobo heads, they never touched him. Philip never even had to worry about going outside and what if they catch me and, and they beat me up? What if he never even had to worry about it because he knew that someone in the room was greater than him and was well able to fight his battle for him. Are you here this morning? See, the difference between David and Saul, Saul had removed himself from fellowship with God. So he didn't have a source of courage or strength. But David had known his God. So when he saw Goliath on the battlefield, he wasn't impressed because somebody on the battlefield was greater than the enemy that was coming against him. I don't know if you know it or not, but the Bible still says, greater is the one that lives on the inside of you than he that is in the world. Courage is not about who you are. It's about who you've been with. 
The Bible says in Joshua 1, 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you. Y'all, if he's with us, who can be against us? I got to remind you this morning that the anchor of your courage, it's not even these meetings in this church, as wonderful as those are. But just like David, you've got to seek God in the private place. You've got to seek God in the secret place if you want him to demonstrate his power in your life in the public place. It's those who know their God that do exploits. If you want to see the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power in your life, it's got to come from one-on-one time, you and Jesus. The strength of your courage is in that quiet time with him where it's just the two of you. And and then when, when you come into these corporate settings, this just becomes the overflow of what God did in the prayer closet. Okay, well, y'all didn't like that, but we just going to move right along. Number two, real courage doesn't fight from the comfort zone. It goes straight to the danger zone. It's usually where the Americans get mad at me, so I don't know what the British are going to do. Let's just see what happens. But in the Western church, we have decided that what we would rather have instead of real discipleship, instead of real walking with God, we've decided that we would like to be comfortable. We design our services to meet the comforts of the... Do you know... It makes me crazy as a worship leader. It makes me absolutely, I feel that spirit of slap coming right back on me, Phil. (laughs) Makes me nuts. Because it doesn't matter who you say the object of your worship is. Whoever you cater a service to, that's who you're worshiping. That's why I could never get behind this seeker sensitive thing. It's all about making you comfortable because she feel better. But the problem with that is, y'all, that the Holy Ghost, he is, he is, thank God he is a comforter, but he comforts your spirit. He never does anything to comfort your flesh. You know how I know that? Oh, I can feel folks getting mad right now. The way I know that is that Jesus said, Not Paul, Peter, James, John, all those guys. Thank God for them. But Jesus, the son of God said, if you're going to follow me, you will deny yourself. You will take up your cross and follow me to the execution. Your flesh cannot survive walking with God. The only destiny for your flesh is crucifixion. So the fight is never going to... Do you think David felt comfortable rushing a 13-foot giant? This has never been about your comfort. But because God is with us, we can run quickly to the battle line with a heart full of courage. Do y'all want some Bible for some of this? Ooh, I've got a couple of quotes. Y'all want to hear some quotes? These are fun. G.K. Chesterton said, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. William Shakespeare, I'm sure y'all know him. Hello. He said, cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. Someone else said, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. 
Everything King's Church is destined to do in Cambridge and the surrounding areas. It's just on the other side of your fear. And Brene Brown said this. I love this. She said, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you cannot have both. Can't be that way. See, if it had been about comfort that day, David could have worn somebody else's armor into the battle. But this was not about making anybody feel safe, protected, or comfortable. This this was about fighting God's battle, God's way. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Proverbs 18, 1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Where's that, y'all? Come on, where's that in the UK today? We've got to have that kind of courage. This is one of my favorites right now. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. You might be more familiar with the, the King James. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Awesome scripture. But, okay, nobody from Georgia reads in Hebrew, but I've got an app for that. So I, I, was, I was playing with my app, and I hit that, that word fear, timidity. Do you know, it came up in the Greek. Do you know what that word really means? Cowardice. God didn't call you to be a coward. But he has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Do you know A.W. Tozer, he's my very favorite. He said it this way. A scared world needs a fearless church. I don't know if you know it or not, but Cambridge needs a fearless church. Who's ready to be fearless today? See, what I love about this. Am I preaching the everlasting gospel? Am I okay? Okay, okay. I'm just checking. I'm nowhere near done. I just thought I'd ask to be nice. (laughs) You're not getting off that easy today. But... But what I love about David was what angered him about Goliath was that Goliath taunted the name of the Lord of hosts. Ooh. See, now, you got to understand that God has so many different names. He's got got names like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider, Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Thank God for all these names that reveal the nature of God. But you do not want to mess with the Lord of hosts. That's his battle name. These hosts, they are the armies of heaven. These are not those little naked butt Valentine's Day angels that we put on Valentine's cards. Am I in trouble for saying button, church? I'm not getting lunch, am I? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. No, these guys, the hosts of heaven, these guys, man, you don't, these are warriors. The Lord of hosts. And, and the Bible, the Bible talks about David was angry because Goliath taunted the name of the Lord of hosts. See, the, the, how in the world 
The Philistines, there's other chapters in the word of God that talk about the Philistines knew of the mighty works of God, of how God brought Israel out of Egypt. They knew that he destroyed Egypt. They were the superpower of the day and God literally made an example of them to the surrounding nations. The Philistines were well aware of the testimony of the might and the power of our God. How did he come to think he could taunt the name of the Lord of hosts? See, it's because he thought that the army on the battlefield, the army that he saw with his natural eyes was the only one on the battlefield. I don't know if you know it or not, church, but we're surrounded by a great hosts. Papa and I the other day were watching some of the history of Israel in the 1967 war. And they didn't talk about the, the cool stuff. The cool stuff in that war was when people, when the Egyptian soldiers would get out of their tanks, surrender to the Israelis for no conceivable reason. They should have been victorious, but they would surrender for no real reason. Come up to Israel and say, who are the guys in the shiny white robes with swords raised? We surrendered because we're scared of them. Except nobody was standing there in the natural. We're surrounded by a great host. See, Elisha, there came a day, Elisha the prophet gave a word from the Lord that really made a king mad. So the king decided to kill him. You want, you sure you want to be prophetic? (laughs) Just throwing that out there. You just think about it. Okay. So, so the, the king decided he was going to kill Elisha and he sent the army for one man. This is called overkill. So, so Elisha is standing there and, and I think he looked like Clint Eastwood just chilled out. Go ahead and make my day. You know, he's not breaking a sweat. And if I was Elisha's servant, that would make me crazy because this is a perfect time to panic. If you're going to panic, panic when the army is all coming to kill you. You're only two guys facing an army. This is a great time to have a meltdown. Right? And the servant looks at Elisha and says, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us. They're coming. They're right there. And instead of Elisha freaking out with his servant, he just real chilled out. Cowboy, go ahead and make my day. Says, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And all of the sudden, it's like the lights came on in Georgia. All of the sudden, the servant's eyes are open. His spiritual eyes are open. And he realizes there's more than one army on this battlefield. Not only that, but look, it's the chariots and horsemen of Israel. We, we are surrounded by the armies of God. There's no way we're going to lose this fight. Can I just jump to the end of the story? There's no way on God's green earth we're going to lose this fight. This fight has already been won. The enemy has already been defeated. It's just a matter of walking this thing out. This times we go into... We went to El Salvador this year. I'm told it's the most dangerous country in South America. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounded pretty scary. Gang violence all the time. We were so aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So aware of the escort of the angels of God walking with us. We're not invincible because we're hot stuff. We ain't got nothing. I don't know how to say that in British. We got nothing. We don't have anything. But we've got some 
awesome bodyguards. You don't want to mess with them. I think mine rotate out once a month because they get stressed out. But and I know my husband's saying amen over there, but my angels probably have a nervous breakdown several times a day. Number three, I'm going to try to not preach too, too long. Number three, courage does not require a natural explanation for a supernatural victory. You remember we just read the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You don't need a logical, everything in our minds is geared to figure it out, right? We want a supernatural victory, but we want one we can figure out. Well, for all of you analytical people in the room today, it ain't never going to happen. Just go ahead and get over it. When God gives strategy, he doesn't give what we would call logical strategy. What am I talking about? Okay. Have you ever paid attention when you read the Bible with some of these stories that we've, we've read a million times? Like, for instance, you've got, you've got Joshua commissioned to walk the people of God into the promised land, right? First step, let's take Jericho. All right. So Joshua has a prayer meeting. And he and God have this conversation. He says, God, how do you want to do this? And here's what I call the ridiculous word of the Lord. Right? Here's the plan of God. I'd like you to walk around the wall in silence. That's where I would have gotten in trouble. Right there. I'd have never made it. That's why God had me born now and not then. I'd have messed the whole thing up for the whole nation been a bad day. We want the whole nation walk around the wall in silence. One lap. Joshua's like, okay, that's a little weird, but we can do that. I want you to do that for six days. Okay, cool. Okay. On the seventh day, I want you to continue to walk around in silence while the priests blow the trumpets. Da -da 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 -da. Okay. That's not going to let the bad guys know where we are. Sounds like a great way to get shot to me, y'all. You know, I want you to walk around. The trumpets are going to... And when, when you come to the end of your seventh lap, I would like for everybody in the whole nation to go, ah! And this is a word from God. Y'all, if Phil comes in with something like that next week, y'all are going to take him to the loony bin. Straight jackets, whole nine yards. But this was the word of the Lord. And because Joshua didn't need a natural explanation for a supernatural victory. Because he just happened to have the courage to obey God. The walls came tumbling down. Do you remember Gideon? He's got 300 rednecks. Do y'all have Duck Dynasty over here? They had the beards. And they're all wearing camo, right? I, 300 rednecks. This is my sermon. I'll preach it how I want to. Okay. <laughs> he starts out with an army of 32,000. God tells him that's too big. Knock it down to 300 rednecks. Right. And he's facing an army that couldn't be numbered. Bible says the Midianites were like locusts that they spread out in the valley. And there's no way that, that Israel should have ever won this fight. So Gideon says, okay, God, how do you want us to do this? Well, I want you to take these big clay pots I want you to, you know, light a torch, put it in the pot. And then when I tell you to, you're going to smash the pot. Boom. The fire will be lit. And then 
you're going to blow a trumpet. God likes them trumpets. And everybody's going to yell, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. How weird is that? Like, what on earth? But do you know what happened? Gideon had the courage to obey God, didn't ask God for a natural explanation for whatever all of that meant in the supernatural. And what happened was the Midianites started turning their swords on each other until this battle was over. Y'all, whatever God is doing in Cambridge through King's Church, let me just be the one to tell you, you may not have all the logistics figured out. The logistics belong to the Lord. And as long as you're waiting to figure it out in your cute little peanut brain, you are never going to do anything for God. But if you will trust Him with His maybe ridiculous sounding instructions, and if you will obey and follow through on the word of the Lord, you will see a great victory in your life and in the life of this church. Number four, courage rises up in your spirit through the power of your testimony. We're about to get to the good part. Do y'all like good, good fun in church? Maybe two of you. Okay. For the rest of you, I'm sorry. You're miserable all the time. Anyway, courage rises up through the power of your testimony. I love that you took time to do some testimonies this morning. That's perfect. Because this is the truth. The Bible, the Bible talks about testimony. In fact, Evangelist Nathan taught us that within the meaning of that word testimony is the meaning do it again. So when you testify to the healing power of God, the delivering power of God, the saving power of God, what happens is you throw the door wide open to the supernatural and you're saying to God, do it again right here and right now. See, the, <laughs> There's this video that we like to play. It, it's, it's hilarious because this testimony happened at the bay on a night that we didn't really feel God. I know y'all never have any experiences like that at King's Church. How many have ever come to church and thought, Lord, we came, where'd you go? <laughs> Just one of those nights, okay? And I had played until my fingers were bleeding and I was like, Lord, I don't know what, and this is only six months into the revival. I thought, well, Lord, are you finished? I mean, that was quick. <laughs> you know, what's up? You know, I repented for stuff I'd never even done. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know what's going on, Jesus, but I'm sorry. And, uh, it was just one, it, we did not feel God that night. Toward the end of the service, I put my assistant worship leader up and I thought, well, she can have a go. <laughs> so I let her have a go and I'm just kind of walking around and observing just talking to the Lord and somewhere around the back of the room, I heard somebody go like that. And I thought, Oh goodness me, we've got a live one. You know, what's going on? You know, somebody get the usher. No. And so what happened was this girl had come to church with a cochlear implant. Do y'all know what that is? It's when you're deaf in an ear and they remove the, the inner ear organs and they install a port on the side of your head Okay, and you're, you, you begin to pick up vibrations, but you still don't get the full spectrum of hearing. It's just better than nothing. Okay? In America, this is like a $36,000 surgery. It, it's, it looks like almost like a little tiny USB thing. They, they just pop into your head. Well, she comes to church that night. You understand that I just said her inner ear organs are removed. They're not there. Right. Okay. 
Well, on the night, we didn't really feel God. Didn't really feel our little Pentecostal chill bumps. I, I see. I know you get to say, I know. Don't make me come out there. On the night, we just did not get our little Pentecostal chill bumps. The Holy Ghost just went ahead and recreated that girl's inner ear. She started hearing. She got so healed, y'all, that she goes back to the doctor and he goes, I have no idea why you can hear, but honey, you can hear. And he pulled that port out of her head. She's still hearing today. Amen. Praise God. Now, that's a girl in Mobile, Alabama, but this is what's cool. Shake the Nations went to California to another church, Right? And they played the video of that young mobile girl's testimony. Wouldn't you know that in the California church, there just happened to be another young lady with a cochlear implant. And when she saw the testimony of the mobile girl getting healed, she didn't wait for Nathan to throw a bucket of oil up on her head. (laughs) She didn't wait to roll on the floor for four hours. She just went ahead and said, Jesus, if you did it for the girl in mobile, you can do it in California. And Jesus healed her too. That's testimony. See, the reason I don't need you to convince me that Jesus is a healer is because I have been healed. I'm not supposed to be able to see out of my right eye this morning. I got shingles when I was 21 in my eye. I looked, I looked like somebody had beaten me. I looked like, uh, y'all call it mints here, don't you? It's not ground beef. I'm sorry. I'm doing the multicultural thing this morning. I'm bilingual. I speak American and English. <laughs> but I looked like mince meat up from my scalp and up into my, it, it was horrifying pain night and day. It was a nightmare. My doctor said it was the worst case of shingles she had ever seen in 20 plus years of medicine. I was in such bad shape that my mother got to be mom all over again. You okay? Not a good day. And in the middle of that, I heard the devil come to me. He does try to pull some stunts from time to time. And and he came in and he said, I'm about to take you out. I was so sick, I don't even know if it was day or night. He said, I'm about to take you out. And even that sick, I said, no, you're not. But I didn't have the, the strength to fight. I was that sick. But when, you know, a friend of mine had a dream the night before, before this ever happened, before the attack ever happened, she had a dream the night before. She calls me, but my mom picks up the phone because I'm too sick. She says, uh, Miss Rebecca, I wanted you to know that I had a dream last night that I saw the enemy walk into the room where Lydia was. Lydia was down and the enemy said, I'm about to take her out. And I heard the Lord say, oh no, he's not. I have a work for her to do. I'm going to raise her up. There's a move of God in the last days that I have a work for her to do. He's not taking her out. She has a destiny on her life. Within about four years, the Bay Revival broke out. Just so you know, Jesus healed me of shingles. Within one year of that incident, I was totally healed, completely healthy. And they say every time I get my eyes examined, they always go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. What happened to you? I said, what are you talking about? They say, the scar tissue stopped just short of your cornea. It's like the attack came. I've got the battle scar to prove it. But God said, thus far, no further. I don't need you to convince me that Jesus is a healer. 
I'm seeing out of an eye I'm not even supposed to be seeing out of this morning. I don't need you to convince me that Jesus saved. I've seen thousands swept into the kingdom in a moment. I don't need you to convince me that Jesus sets the captives free because demons still tremble at the mention of that name. I've seen him deliver people that you would never even think could ever get free. It's always the ones that are the worst, the hard cases that come to Jesus and they get up and they look like a totally new person because there's power in the name of Jesus. What am I doing? I'm testifying because I want him to do it again in Cambridge. The Bible says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Y'all, I thank God for the power in the blood of Jesus. We talk about it, sing about it, preach about it. I mean, we will go for it with you about the blood. But when you combine the power of the blood with the power of your testimony, there's not a devil in hell that can come against your life. When, when, when David was faced with Goliath, the reason he was not impressed. See, we are so impressed with the devil. We're so intimidated because we haven't been with Jesus. But the reason that David was not intimidated by Goliath, the reason he was not impressed with Goliath was because David had already had an experience with God that Goliath couldn't talk him out of. It's about time we remembered what God has done in our lives. You know, some of you this morning are dealing with depression and you can get free of that. You don't even have to take a pill. Thank God for doctors, but you don't even have to take a pill. If you would just take the time to remember the good things that God has done in your life, the power of your testimony will set you free. You don't need to let your perspective about your life come from your test. Let it come from your testimony. Number five, don't constantly look to an outside source for your courage. you got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. I, I wish all the great mood music that has come through the church could do it for you. And I wish that, I wish that laying hands on people would do it. But there comes a point when you've got to encourage your own self in the Lord. Y'all, there was, there was a time in David's life where David went to the camp of the Philistines. He went and lived in Ziklag with the Philistines. God never told him to do that. And because he was in a place God never assigned him to, the enemy attacked, burned down the city, kidnapped his wives, his kids, the, all the, all the spoils that David had collected, all of his stuff stole from him, robbed him blind. And, and it was David's fault for being in the wrong place. But even then, when David went to God and repented, the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And from that place, God told him, go, and you're going to recover all. And that's what put David in the, on the throne. Yeah. Y'all remember that? But let's, let's go back a little while. Let's go back to that shepherd's field. You remember I told you, you've got, when you've got this fight with Goliath, you've got the Israelites on one hill, you've got the Philistines on the other, and there's a valley in between it. See... Those, I, I, I've done a little research. The rabbis say that when David got ready to fight, how many know from that scripture, nobody was really encouraging David. Nobody had anything good to say. Everybody told him he was a moron. Everybody told him he was going to come back dead. It was not going to be a good day. Everybody told him this is over. You're nuts. You're not able to fight this guy. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you know how I know? 
the rabbis say that Saul and the armies of Israel were so confident that David was going to die. I mean, really great faith people, right? So convinced that he was never going to make it. But he was so determined to fight this battle that they thought, well, if he's going to go, we'll send a scribe beside him so they can write down his last words. How encouraging is that? You're the only one brave enough to fight the battle of the Lord. And they send somebody to write down the last thing you say because they're so convinced you're about to bite the dust. So David, could you just go with me to that battlefield for a moment? It's okay to use your imagination in church. He's getting ready to run toward this giant, gets the stone out, puts it in the sling. I want you to hear the sound of the sling in there. And do you know what the, what the scribe wrote down as David ran to the battle line? We think this is a funeral, a funeral scripture. You know what that scribe wrote down? He wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is a war cry. This is not some funeral psalm. This is a battle cry. David runs toward Goliath screaming, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Remember, an army on each hill, the fight is in the valley. And David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear this enemy. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in the middle of this battlefield, you prepare. You prepare a table in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, oh, come on, we got to have the anointing for the fight. My cup overflows. This is the one man. This is one that makes me want to jump out of my skin. He said, not only am I going to win this fight because of the one who is in me, Not only is this going to be a great victory that nobody expected, but surely, surely goodness and mercy are chasing me through this valley of death and they're going to follow me all the days of my life and you better watch me because I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Y'all, if I could get you to stop looking to Pastor Phil or the person sitting next to you or the next Christian worship album from the next big whatevers to encourage yourself. If I could get you alone with Jesus, with your Bible, your prayer closet and encourage yourself in the Lord. There's not a Goliath that you couldn't defeat. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You need to, sometimes you need to stop rehearsing all the drama, all the horrible things going on in your life. And you need to go ahead and see yourself on the other side of the fight. You need to go ahead and see the victory. See yourself completely free. See yourself completely victorious over the very thing the devil's been harassing you with for years. 
You got a breakthrough to breakthrough. Man, I love that. I'm going to steal that and preach it like it's mine. I'm finished. Courage, like nothing else. Courage will pave the way for the supernatural. Especially when you begin to encourage others. Sam, if you want to come hang out, man, you might keep me from preaching until Jesus comes back. There's a scripture in the Bible that describes revival in a way to me that it's right now it's my favorite. It might be something else later, but right now it's my favorite. There's something so powerful that happens when you get over yourself and encourage somebody else. See, this is the body of Christ. And it matters when the person next to you is not okay. It matters to the health of this church. When you begin to encourage somebody else, something rises up in you. Something rises up in them. And, and, and there, there becomes like a Holy Ghost synergy in the body of Christ. See, this scripture is, is, is in Isaiah. Chapter 35, verse 3. It says, Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. What happens when you encourage people like that? You want to know? It's right here. He said, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Church, I got to tell you, I am so proud of King's Church for what you do to reach this community. For stepping out in faith and evangelism and and it's like jumping off a cliff without a parachute talking to people these days about God in our postmodern world. I know you experience ridicule. I know it's not always easy. I know God's meeting you on those streets and I am so proud of you for it. But last time I was here and even this time, I can sense that there are those of you that you want to be bold enough to join these others and go for it and and reach the lost in this community. You want to see somebody's leg grow on the street. You want to see miracles happen at the name of Jesus outside the four walls of the church, but you're still bound in fear. If I could say anything to you this morning, I would say Cambridge needs a fearless church. If you'll look to Jesus, if you'll get alone with him, you, you know, you might not get it from one more prayer time in the altar. You might not get it. You might not get it from giving in an offering, but if you'll get alone with Jesus, if you'll let the Holy Spirit minister to your spirit, you'll be fearless in the face of Goliath. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.